Welcome back, friends. If you can find your seats again. We're going to read the Bible together. Our first reading comes from Acts chapter 2. This happens on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after Jesus' resurrection. And the Holy Spirit came amongst God's people. And the Apostle Peter stood up and preached boldly. So we're picking up near the end of his sermon. Acts chapter 2, picking it up at verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptised and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Our second reading is from 2 Corinthians. A bit further on in the New Testament, this is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, and here he's encouraging them to be generous in their giving. Let's pick it up, chapter 8, and starting at verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work, so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there... The gift is acceptable to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality, as it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little Did not have too little. Thanks, Darren. Good morning, everyone. Lovely to see you all. Um, And I'll give us a wave just so I know that, you know, because it's hard to see your smiles. Uh, It's nice to see. Give us a wave at home. Uh, (laughs) uh, Yes, hard to see your smiles. So, and that's one of the things I love. 
about church is just uh, seeing your smiles. And, and I love uh, when I see people kind of responding uh, to the word of God. So you just have to be more visibly, you know, you know, just wave your hands every now and then if you get excited or anything. Thumbs up. Thanks, Jen. Um, now, the third verse of uh, John Lennon's song, Imagine. Would you like me to uh, would you like me to sing it for you? Okay, three, three thumbs up. That's enough. All right, terrific. Um, <clears throat> Imagine no possessions. I wonder if you can. No need for greed or hunger. A brotherhood, sisterhood of man. Imagine all the people sharing all the world. I've got to really work on that last bit because I never quite get that last bit. So there is the third verse of John Lennon's very famous song, Imagine, that is 50 years old uh, this year. Uh, And so if you remember that coming out, then uh, you're probably getting on in life. You know, uh, I don't remember it coming out, even though I was one year old at the time. I, I really don't remember it coming out, so I don't count myself in the same category. Um, but yeah, it's, it's one of those songs that's kind of just resonated down through the ages. And here at church, I just want to be really clear, every week we normally take a book of the Bible and, and work our way through. But over January, we take some topics uh, and this January, we're using the themes of this song uh, as, and to explore them against the teaching of Jesus. Uh, and what does Jesus say about these things? And I've got to say, this third verse longs for a world without greed, without hunger, without poverty. And you look at this third verse, and there's kind of nothing there that I disagree with in the third verse. But in, in the context of the whole song... I have concerns, but how could you not want a world with no greed or hunger, where people just kind of share everything they have, uh, a brotherhood, a sisterhood, like a family of humanity? Uh, It's a really beautiful picture. Now, so just let me paint the picture of our world for a moment. Here is a global pyramid of wealth. Uh, put together, I can't remember, by World Economic Forum or something like that. But have a look at the dark blue at the bottom. You mightn't be able to make out all the details, but notice the dark blue represents 70% of our world, right? 3.5 billion people all have a wealth under $10,000 each. Um, And so if you have a look on the right-hand side, that means... 70% of the world's population own 2.7% of the wealth. Uh, There's a real inequality there, isn't there? Now, you have a look at the top, that little light blue triangle right at the top. That's the Millionaires Club, right? All those who have a wealth of over a million, which represents 0.7% of our world, uh, but they own 46% of the world's wealth. Uh, So... 1% of the world's population own more than half, uh, if you add that next... Anyway, can you you feel that kind of sense of inequality? Um, Now, here's another statistic. Our world currently produces enough food for over 10 billion people. Um, 
Now there are three and a, sorry, seven and a half billion people on the planet. So our world produces each year more than enough for our world's population, and yet one in seven people on the planet are hungry, malnourished, and without enough access to food. Uh, one in seven go hungry. Uh, John Lennon asks us to imagine a world with no greed or hunger, where people sit lightly to possessions, where there's a brotherhood or sisterhood, sharing. And what we want to do today is think about the difference Jesus makes. Uh, how does Jesus impact these issues of hunger, greed, sharing possessions, and living as a family? Uh, and I want to start in the passage that Darren read from Acts 2. Uh, so where Darren left off on, I want to pick up from that point. So I think you went up to verse 42, did you, Darren? Um, so have a look at verse 43. This is the beautiful Jesus community from verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching uh, and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So this is all those who have now come to put their trust in Jesus, to follow Jesus as their king. They've surrendered to him. They've repented. Uh, they've received forgiveness of sins. The Holy Spirit has now been poured out on this community. Uh, and as they gather, they are devoted to God and to each other. Uh, the apostles are there teaching the words of Jesus uh, to this gathering. Verse 43, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. So this is a community where the power of God is manifest amongst them in a very tangible, uh, dramatic way through the apostles. Verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. You know, this is a, this is a community that are sharing one another, with one another, that are sitting lightly to their own personal possessions. Everyone's needs are being met. Verse 46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. It's just such a great picture, isn't it? This, this group of people that love drawing together. And so they draw together in the temple courts. And I wonder whether that's because that was the religious heart of Israel. But they're not going there to offer sacrifices anymore. Jesus has fulfilled the sacrificial system, the one true perfect sacrifice for sins offered for our forgiveness. So they don't need to go to the temple anymore to offer sacrifices, but now they're going to gather as this Jesus community. But not only in the temple, uh, they're also gathering in one another's homes, sharing meals together uh, with glad and sincere hearts. Verse 47, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. Just this is, a, this is a community where people were looking on going, wow, this Jesus community is a different, is an impressive community. They love each other. Uh, they love God. Uh, so there was this good reputation. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So this is a community that was getting bigger and bigger by the day. Now, isn't that, isn't that an attractive community? Like, do you feel like, gee, I wish I was there? I wish I was part 
of that community, you kind of want to bottle the sort of the beauty of that little community. Uh, I want to be part of it. So how is such a community created? Um, this is a question that Jesus will give a different answer to John Lennon uh, on that question. Right? This community is created by Jesus and only by Jesus. God's King and Saviour had come into the world. Jesus had died and risen again. Um, he died for our forgiveness. He'd been raised and he opened up the doorway to God's kingdom so that all who would repent and believe are welcomed into God's kingdom and become part of this family, a new humanity. Um, and on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, Jesus pours out his spirit on this community and the Holy Spirit, you know, there's a drama to this event, you know, because there's the speaking in tongues and all that sort of thing. But the real, the miracle is what's going on in the hearts of the people, changing them from self-centered, stingy, sinful people to actually, because so, they've been forgiven already, but now they're being transformed in the heart. Um, and letting go of self-centeredness and greed and becoming generous, loving and compassionate. And this is the little community that forms out of the ministry of Jesus. Now, when John Lennon pictured a brotherhood of man sharing possessions, he didn't want it to come about through Jesus or through the message of Jesus. Um, he wanted, to come, he wanted this community to come about by getting rid of God. So remember how the song starts? Imagine there's no heaven, you know, because it's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. A world where there's no religion. Um, basically, John Lennon was advocating, move God out of the picture and we can have a kind of a paradise on earth. Uh, listen to what John Lennon said. Imagine, he's talking about the song... It's virtually the communist manifesto, even though I'm not particularly a communist, right? So, so it's funny, it's a little phrase to say, but he's saying, yeah, it's, it's basically the communist manifesto set to words, even though he because what he went on to say is, you know, he didn't like communism in Russia or in China or those places. He wanted a British form of communism, uh, which is kind of funny when he talks about a brotherhood of man. I don't like the Chinese version or the Russian version. I want the British uh, version. Um, but uh, listen to the... So the, the father of communism is Karl Marx. Listen to this quote from him. From each according to his ability to each according to his needs. Um, it's part of... Uh, you know, it's one of the slogans of the communist movement. And so the idea is everyone chips in Everyone plays a part, everyone does whatever they can according to their ability, and everyone receives according to their needs. Uh, it's, it's a really beautiful picture. Um, and that came 100 years before John Lennon. Karl Marx hated the greed and capitalism he saw in the world. And he was opposed to Christianity and religion partly because I think he wrongly saw Christianity as part of the fault, part of the cause of a world of greed. I think he wrongly diagnosed that. But the way an ideal world would come about would be through the workers of the world, the oppressed working class, 
uniting, rising up in revolution. Working men of all countries unite. The problem is, every th everywhere throughout the world, Marxism has been seriously tried. It has seriously been a disaster. Uh, Russia, Cambodia, Cuba, Burma, Zimbabwe, China, North Korea, East Germany, just list them all off. For a movement with such high ideals, it has been utterly catastrophic. Uh, I read an article in the Australian newspaper recently, and it talked about how it, it, it labelled communism as causing the most deaths of any movement throughout history. And it said 100 million people have been killed in the cause of communist uprising. That is, the shift from capitalism to kind of a communism, communist utopia has caused massive, massive death and wide-scale wide devastation. So when I was at uni, uh, and this is going back a while now, maybe, I don't know, what, what year are we in? Right. Anyway, look, it's at least 30 years ago, Someone gave me this advice. If you're not a communist at the age of 20, you've got no heart. But if you're still a communist at the age of 30, you've got no brains. Um, and I just, I, I've always remembered that. And I think it's very, very true. It's, it's a great little statement. Because the ideal of communism, like, it just sounds good. And you think, I want that. But the reality is so dreadful. Um, why do the ideals of Marx and even John Lennon, uh, why do they fail? Well, I want you to listen to the words of Cyril Jode. Now, Cyril Jode uh, was a, um, a thinker in Britain. Um, he was, in the years leading up to World War II, he's, he was an atheist and a communist sympathiser. Um, but all the events of this era caused him to reflect and, and, and reconsider. He said, we on the left were always being disappointed, disappointed by the refusal of people to be reasonable, by the subservience, subservience of intellect to emotion, by the failure of true socialism to arrive, by the behaviour of nations and politicians. And he talks about things like by you know, people's preference to Hollywood over Shakespeare. You know, what, what's going on there? Uh, and then he goes on to say, above all, we were disappointed by the recurrent fact of the war. The reason for our disappointment is that we have rejected the doctrine of original sin. Uh, and what he realised is that just the failure of, of the ideologies like socialism and communism and so on, the failure to actually recognise how profoundly self-centred and sinful we are, uh, it, it meant that all those ideologies were just doomed to fail. As much as they sound good uh, and we aspire to them, you take God and Jesus out of the picture and they are powerless to deal with the problem of human sin. Um, <clears throat> only Jesus has the solution. And so what I'm saying is first... Jesus forgives our sin. He forgives our self-centeredness and greed when we, when we come to him and surrender and say sorry. But then he pours out his spirit into our hearts, taking these self-centered, greedy, sinful hearts and softening them and changing them 
uh, so that we become more like the Lord Jesus. That is what creates the beautiful community of Jesus we see in Acts chapter 2, the early church. Um, but I want to say, so I want to say we've got to be careful because on the one hand, it is right to desire and aspire to the kind of Acts 2 Jesus community, but we also need to be careful not to idealise Christian fellowship. Uh, and so let me start with that point. The beautiful Jesus community, don't idealise it. Um, Acts chapter 2 was like the honeymoon of the church. You know, and honeymoons are meant to be kind of a really uh, nice time. Uh, but in the chapters that, that follow, if you keep reading the book of Acts, you see persecution comes. So for this community that once enjoyed the favour of the wider Jewish community in Jerusalem, once the, once the leadership of the Jewish community become jealous, once they become opposed, then they kind of win the groundswell of public approval, and so it turns against this church. Um, and so kind of the majority who were, who were at one point warm towards Christianity now become either apathetic or hostile to the point where this early church ultimately gets scattered uh, and broken up through persecution. Uh, and you get sin within the Christian community. Uh, so even though it's a community being transformed by Jesus, it still has sinful people in it. Uh, and you see one example in chapter 5 where Ananias and Sapphira, uh, they're, they're kind of caught up in this kind of sense of, oh, everyone's selling their possessions. And there must have been some kudos, you know, because Barnabas sold his possessions and everyone went, whoa, Barnabas is a, a real legend. And so they thought, oh, we want to kind of cash in on that, you know, that reputation. And so they sold their house and they brought it and they put the money at the apostles' feet and they say, here is all the proceeds of our house. But secretly they had stashed some of the proceeds away just in case. You know, they're kind of taking an each way bet. And, 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 so, and so death, uh, and death comes as a discipline or a judgment on them, not, not for their unwillingness to share, but because they lied, right? They, they weren't under any compulsion to sell their house. Right? It was theirs. They could do what they want. Some people were selling their houses. They weren't under any compulsion to sell their house, but what they did was they pretended that they were being generous in a way that they weren't. And so, you know, sin starts having an impact on the early church. Another thing that happens is just the church grows, um, which meant that church life just became more complex. So you come to Acts chapter 6, uh, and what happens is you've got this system of care for the widows, uh, those who had no husbands and really uh, were the most vulnerable in society. Um, but there was a dispute because within the early Church. It was a Jewish church, but you had these Greek-speaking Jews and these Hebrew-speaking Jews. And there was a dispute that the Hebrew-speaking Jews, those widows, were getting more a better deal than the Greek-speaking Jewish widows. Right? Anyway, so you can see... And so there was a sense of this is not fair. 
One group is kind of missing out, the other group is getting preferential treatment. Uh, and the solution that the apostles put together was to become more organised. Right? The solution is not to come and discipline those, you know, those people who are handing out the food, to, to actually say, we need to have a better system of organising it. Uh, and they appoint a little subcommittee uh, of the deacons who can actually take care of the daily distribution of food uh, to the widows um, and ensure the practical needs of this growing community are being met. So as much as we might be attracted to the simple, organic fellowship of Acts 2, we mustn't idealise it and pretend that, that somehow that can, can always be uh, the way church feels or seems to be. Every now and then, um, every now and then a group of Christians come along uh, with the stated goal, we want to be like the Acts chapter 2 church. We want to return to authentic, organic, thick relationship type church. Um, everyone devoted to one another, everyone sharing everything. Now what happens with these movements that come along and say we're returning to the Acts 2 model of church? Um, well, what happens is it doesn't last. Um, and so sometimes there is, a, there is a kind of honeymoon phase. I reckon we had a honeymoon phase when the Lakes Church began because uh, there was a lot of these elements of in each other's house, knowing each other intimately and so on, but we grew. Um, so the Acts 2 church doesn't last exactly in the same form and what I've noticed is that as, as movements, as Christian movements try to kind of bottle that and say that's what we're going to model ourselves on, often those, those churches can become a little bit spiritually abusive uh, and manipulative. It's almost like uh, you can never kind of leave and if you do, you, you'll be shunned uh, by this group because we're so thick in our relationships with each other uh, or it just changes because it grows and it just becomes more complex. Uh, and so I just, want, I just want to warn you not to idealise the Acts 2 experience. It is the honeymoon phase of the church. And just like in a marriage, you can't recapture the honeymoon for the whole you know, 50 years of marriage or whatever. Uh, don't idealise Christian community. But on the other hand, actively pursue it, right? So we, mustn't, we must recognise that Christian community will have its flaws and changes and challenges. So don't idealise it, but actively pursue it. And I want to um, give you three ways to think about that. Firstly, don't grow weary in doing good. Uh, this is Galatians chapter 6. Let's not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Now, why would Paul have to urge us to not grow weary of doing good? Well, the reason is, is because that's the temptation. Uh, it, it, it is a real temptation to grow weary in doing good. Um, in a world of sin, in a world of disappointment, in a world where we have unrealised expectations, 
in a world of change, and that's what we've had for the last 12 months, isn't it? Just constant change. And in that sort of world, you can grow weary, can't you? And you go, oh man, I'm putting in, I'm putting in, working hard, and no one seems to appreciate or no one seems to notice or it doesn't really feel like it makes the difference I want it to. Uh, and you can be tempted to give up. Now, God wants each one of us, as, he, as followers of the Lord Jesus, to persevere at loving each other, serving each other, especially your brothers and sisters. So look at what it says. Therefore, sorry, go back, sorry. Uh, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let's do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So let's not grow weary in that. Um, Let's continue to serve one another and especially our brothers and sisters in Christ. And yeah, take us to that other quote. Uh, This means not just sitting back and letting others do it. Uh, So Paul says, we gave you this rule, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. Uh, Brothers and sisters never tire of doing what is good. Uh, He's pretty hardcore sometimes, isn't he? But basically, it's the idea of we want to be a community that is full of good works, where we're serving one another, but you can come into such a community and sit back and just let everyone else serve you. Uh, And that's not the intention, right? So we want to be showing real compassion and and, um, we want to be serving and and providing for the needs of those who are vulnerable, you know, those who are in need. But we don't want to create a sense of, you know, the majority just sitting back and receiving, receiving, receiving. Paul's saying, no, no, all of us need to kind of chip in and play our part. So there's the first thing. Um, Don't grow weary in doing good. Secondly, be devoted to gathering. So let's consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, why would we be commanded to stop or why would we be commanded to not give up meeting together? Well, it's because that's the temptation. Um, busyness of life creeps in, other priorities take over and you know, shift the gathering of God's people aside. Coronavirus comes along and just makes it practically difficult. You have to wear masks and so you think, oh man, do I really have to gather if I have to wear masks? Um, and I just want to say, well, there's a lot worse things you'd have to do in life. You know? So, you know, the underground church in China, they went to a lot uh, bigger effort than uh, putting a mask on. Anyway, uh, I'll leave that one for the moment. Uh, so there are other things that can kind of discourage or there's disappointment or unmet expectations within church life. And they kind of can just pull people back from meeting together. But one of the precious markers of the early church was their devotion to gathering together. And notice they gathered together in the temple courts and in one another's homes uh, to eat and drink and and share life together. Now, we've kind of structured our church community like that. So we've got the larger Sunday gatherings, which you're part of this morning, and then the smaller growth group network, 
uh, during the week. Um, And so you might come along on Sundays and you might find it hard to socially connect. Uh, You know, especially if you're new, you feel like, wow, there's a lot of people here, although there's not so, you know, it's a good time, there's not so many uh, right at the moment, but hard hard to socially connect. Everyone else seems to know each other. And I just want to say, don't lose heart if you feel like that's you. Keep at it and join a growth group. Um, get to know a smaller group more intimately um, and you know, be in each other's houses in that way. Share, share meals together. Uh, share with one another so that you know what prayer concerns you have. Uh, and the way to make the growth group successful um, is to go along ready to play your part. Even if you're not the leader, you go along thinking... How can I kind of share of myself, uh, make myself a little bit vulnerable so that I can, uh, we can, you know, we can create a forum where we genuinely get to know each other? Uh, And how can I embed into my life prayerfulness for the brothers and sisters within my group? Uh, And how can I just model that they matter to me, that I'm going to turn up as I am able to, as regular as I can? So I show to this group that they are important to me. Uh, And all those things will actually breed um, a connection, uh, a beautiful social connection with others uh, amongst God's people. If you're new, we want to encourage you, before you join one of the regular groups, to join the Life Series or the Connect Series. Um, So life is about exploring the claims of Jesus and grounding yourself in that. Uh, and the Connect series is about what's, our, what, what's God's big purposes in our world? How is our church trying to put them into action? And how does that intersect with each of the lives of people in our church? And so it's a great way to kind of get to know our church and the part you play within our church. Um, we'd love you to join that, and then we'll, put, you know, we'll arrange a growth group for you afterwards. But God wants you to persevere at gathering, uh, to actively build one another up. And I want to give you another practical way that you can do this, and that is by joining a ministry team. Uh, And so within our church life, you know, there's just a lot of teams that uh, go to make our church gatherings a good place. So as you came in, there was a welcoming team and taking your details and they've really stepped up in this era because they've got to have the sanitizer out there and offer you a face mask and take your details and so on and uh, they've been great doing that but then as you come in there's the AV team up the back the music team here there's the kids church leader and this is just on a Sunday but uh, you know there's set up packed down and so there's all these teams uh, and the thing about you join a ministry team because you have a heart to do good you know, you have a heart to serve God's people. But I want to say one of the blessings that comes out of it is uh, a, a real sense of fellowship and camaraderie. Um, you don't join a ministry team to achieve that, but it's one of the fruits of it. Is when, you, when you get together and have a cause beyond yourself that you're working together on, it actually forms um, just fellowship Uh, teamwork uh, and connection. Uh, So there is another thing to do 
Don't just sit back and wait for people to connect with you. Actively pursue it. And thirdly, be radically generous. Um, Jesus was radically generous to us. He, he kind of lays the foundation for the Christian life and our generosity. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. You know, the, the king of all stoops down to become a servant and die in our place. And through his poverty, we, are, we become the children of God, uh, heirs of eternal life. Um, and the radical generosity of Jesus is something that ought to capture our hearts and that we should pursue. And so a few verses later, our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. Um, and I, I don't know about the word equality. Um, in some versions, it's had has fairness. Um, I, think about it in terms of family life. So you know, you've, you've got kids, and you've got a bottle of lemonade, and you think, all right, we're going to divvy up the lemonade, and so you pour it into the glasses, and the kids choose. But then. Kids notice unfairness, don't they? And so if one, if one kid actually pours them out and they pour themselves a full glass and everyone else gets a half glass, there's a sense of that's, that's not fair. But you don't want it to become to the other extreme where like, there's a tape measure brought out every time there's glasses. You just think, oh, that's just... Anyway, so we don't want to kind of have that attitude to fairness where we kind of get the tape measure out. But we do want to have a sense of making sure that no one's being neglected, no one's missing out, that we're kind of caring for one another genuinely and not neglecting anybody. Uh, and uh, the next verse, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. All right, now John Lennon imagined a world where everyone shares everything. One brotherhood of man. Uh, and he did, he did start singing sisterhood of man as well later on uh, when he got politi more politically correct. Um, but yeah, one brotherhood of man. It was the same vision as Karl Marx had had and that laid the foundations for communism. It's a vision that is doomed to failure, that is pure idealism, that will only lead to frustration and disappointment because without God and his son Jesus, there is no power to overcome the profound embedded greed and self-centeredness that is in the hearts of the human race. But Jesus makes all the difference because he died for our forgiveness, to cleanse us of our sin, he rose, he pours his Holy Spirit into our hearts to change us, to take these self-centered hearts of stone and make them loving and compassionate and generous. Jesus genuinely makes a difference now as he gathers his people. We mustn't idealize Christian fellowship. It's not perfect. We're never, we're never claiming our church will be perfect, we still wait for perfection in the future. But it is real, right? It is real fellowship all the same. And Jesus calls on us to actively 
expectantly pursue it. Um, and so I'm going to lead us in prayer to that end. Will you pray with me? Oh God, our Father, we, we recognise that we live in a world where there is so much greed, so much hoarding, so many people grab and take, 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 and so few people give uh, and share. And Father, we want to thank you that Jesus, the coming of Jesus has made the difference that, that our world needs because Jesus cleanses us and forgives us of our sin but he also changes us by his spirit uh, taking away greed and self-centeredness and replacing it with compassion and love so father we we pray that even amongst us you will forge a community of genuine love of you genuine love of one another we pray that we'll be devoted to your word to the good news of Jesus, to prayer and praise uh, and to genuine acts of love and service of one another. Uh, so, Father, we pray that you'll help us to not grow weary in these things, to make the most of every opportunity to serve and love and do good. Father, we pray that you'll enable us to regather. Even this week, we pray that the restrictions might ease uh, as this pandemic comes under more control. Uh, Father, we ask that you will enable us to gather again more freely in coming weeks, but also that we, you'll give each one of us a heart that desires, that pursues the gathering, whether here on Sunday or as part of our small group network. Uh, we do pray that we will be blessed through our fellowship with one another this year. And Father, please stir in our hearts a radical generosity, just like the Lord Jesus, giving up everything for our salvation. Father, we pray that we will not respond by being stingy, but by being open-hearted with our lives, with our time, and with our money. And we pray these things in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.